I want to turn your attention in the word of the Lord this morning to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16. Can I preach for a little while this morning like it might be the last time we get a chance? Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16, verse 1 in the New King James Version says this, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go in to my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. So Sarah's plan, in essence, was to circumvent the fact that God had not allowed her to have children yet by having her husband uh, have relations with her maidservant, this young lady named Hagar. And then Sarai's plan was, once Hagar had conceived and given birth, she would obtain a child. She would take possession of that child and raise that child on her own. That was the essence of the plan. For the record, it was a bad plan. Verse 3. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went in to Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, when Sarah saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. So the plan has the ramifications that you would expect if you have an ounce of common sense. She does conceive a child, but then there is drama between these two ladies. Who could have saw that coming? And so Sarah issues an ultimatum to her husband, says, you're going to have to choose. You're going to have to pick which way you're going to go. So Abram said to Sarai, indeed, your maid is in your hand. She, she said, she, she's your servant. Do to her as you please. And Sarai, and when Sarai dealt harshly with Hagar, Hagar fled from Sarai's presence. Now the angel of the Lord found Hagar by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. Verse 9 says, the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. And the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke, to her, who spoke to her, you are the God who sees. For she said, have I, also, have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore the well was called Be'er Lai Roi. Observe, it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael. To Abram. I want to focus on that eighth verse, verse 8 of Genesis chapter 16. I'm going to read it again. The angel of the Lord said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from 
and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. I want to minister from that verse and from that chapter on this thought, on this final day of the year, coming and going, coming and going. You may be seated. Sarai had female servants. They were a clan that had done well for themselves, and in addition to having possessions of cattle and livestock and numerous other material possessions, they were also uh, among those who had servants that they had purchased. That These were people that had no other economic way of providing for themselves. They had no skills. They had no uh, heritage. They had no inheritance. And so the only option available to them in those days was to indenture themselves as a servant to people that had means. And so this was the story of one Hagar. Sarai had many of these servants. Many of them she had brought probably from uh, the land of Mesopotamia where her and her husband Abram had left many years ago. But Hagar was an Egyptian girl that Sarai had acquired during their stay in Egypt. She was a pickup along the way. Sarai intended for Hagar to have a child by her husband. We talked about that a moment ago, and we pointed out what a ridiculous plan that was. Sometimes we hatch plans and schemes that don't make a lot of sense, and we need someone to come along and stop it in its tracks, don't we? Sometimes we can get tunnel vision, and we can hatch a scheme that to anybody else wouldn't make any sense, but to us, it seems to meet a need, and we feel like it's the answer to our problem, and so we proceed. And this is one such plan. And Sarai says to Abram, why don't you just take this young slave girl named Hagar and you can produce a child through her and then I'll take the child and raise the child as my own. And that'll be God's way of fulfilling the plan through uh, Hagar and through really it'll be our plan, but we can call it God's plan. And that's Sarai's uh, idea that day. It was an accepted practice back in those days to do these kinds of things because there were people who had servants and there were people who were unable to have children. And this was something that happened a lot of times in these days in this part of the world. But just because it was common practice and everybody else was doing it doesn't mean that it's the right thing for God's people to do. And the same is true today. Just because the world accepts a certain practice or a certain standard of living does not mean that it is something that the people of God ought to embrace. Sarah's plan wasn't so outlandish in the grand scheme of things by the standards of what everybody else did. But in the eyes of God, it was sin. God had ordained a plan that God was going to make sure that Abram and Sarah had a child and that promised child was going to be the one that would inherit the promises of God and the plan of God for the ages. But Sarah woke up one day and decided that she had a better plan in mind and it wasn't the plan of faith. The scriptures say that if it isn't faith, it's sin. And Sarah concocted a plan that was of her own making and not God's making. Hagar got caught into the plan that Sarai had dreamt up and Abram had signed off on. Hagar found herself swept into the middle of this mess and she must have felt like what a privilege it's going to be to be a part of 
this clan and this family. I'm going to have a place of prominence. This is almost some sort of promotion for me. Hagar must, in her ignorance, must have thought this is going to go well for me. And then she conceives the child and she thinks this is all going according to plan. This is going to be great. And then everyone turns on her. Everybody turns on her. Everybody starts treating her poorly. And she goes from a place of excitement and encouragement and vision for the future. And suddenly, Hagar is in pain. And she's full of resentment. She's full of disappointment. And she's low on answers about the future. She's wondering to herself, no doubt, what comes next? Where do I go from here? And then, after she's been mistreated long enough and harshly enough, she flees into the wilderness away from Sarai. And she finds herself at a spring, a spring in the middle of the wilderness. And she's sitting there, and she's, her inner monologue's no doubt having all of these questions. Where do I go from here? What in the world does the next chapter hold? I've got a child inside of me. What am I going to do? And a stranger appears to her by the spring. And the word of God reveals to us and tells us that it was the angel of the Lord. It was a manifestation of God. It was God speaking to Hagar. And for the very first time in our story, Hagar is actually called by her name. What a sweet sound that must have been. How accustomed she must have become to being called slave girl. Or hey you, come here. But she finds herself at a spring and a stranger, the angel of the Lord, comes and he addresses her by her name. He says, Hagar. And he doesn't just know her name, but he knows her rank. He knows exactly what station of life she's in. He hasn't mistaken her for some high and mighty ruler. He knows exactly where she's at. And he says, Hagar, servant of Sarah. And he begins to minister to her. And I don't want to, for a second... Look at what the angel of the Lord speaks to this young lady, Hagar, and for a second think that it's an endorsement somehow of the plan that Sarai and Abraham had had put into motion. It's not that at all. It's not an endorsement of us taking our own ideas and calling it God's plan and moving on. But what we're doing in this passage in Genesis chapter 16 is at a spring in the middle of the wilderness, we are dropping into a real life situation. That's what real life looks like. Hagar didn't make this plan up. Hagar didn't wake up one morning with any desire to see this plan happen the way that it did. Hagar didn't decide that she wanted to put herself in a position where everybody hated her and nobody wanted her around anymore. God asked the question to Hagar in two parts. He says, where have you come from and where are you going? It isn't the first time that God asked those kinds of questions. In Genesis, Adam and Eve trespassed against the law and the commandment of God. And God begins walking through the garden as he did every day. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 9 said the Lord God called to Adam and said to Adam, Where are you, Adam? And Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is, it that, what is this that you have done? 
And the woman said that the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Genesis chapter 4 records another such interaction because there's these two brothers, the sons of Adam and Eve named Cain and Abel. And if you're familiar with the story, you find them at odds with one another over the offerings that they were presenting to God. God had accepted the offering of Abel, and he had not accepted the offering of Cain. And it stirred up negative emotions in Cain. And Cain, instead of fixing the problem and improving his offering and coming into alignment with the plan of God, decided to take it out on his brother, Abel, and he, he killed Abel in the field. Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And God said, what have you done? So that question that God asks in two parts to Hagar isn't entirely new, but it is the first time since Genesis 3 and Genesis 4 that God has come and asked those sort of questions to anybody. And so Hagar finds herself at the spring, and she's having an Adam and Eve moment. She's having a Cain and Abel moment. She's at a crossroads in life. She's coming and she's going and she doesn't know what's next. And God shows up on the scene and asks her those questions. Questions that he didn't really need to ask. Because in Genesis chapter 3 and in Genesis chapter 4, God knows the answer to those questions. God knew where Abel was. God knew that they'd eaten of the tree. God knew exactly where Hagar was and why she was there. But God routinely comes looking and he comes looking not for his sake but he comes looking for our sake for your sake it's not an accident that you're here today God is in this place and he's doing what he always does he's moving through the room he's navigating his spirit has already been ministering as we've sang and as we've prayed together and worshiped and now as we've opened the word of God together God in his spirit is moving and he's penetrating hearts and he's pushing past the noise of our life on a new year's weekend and all the things that are swirling and and that might be happening in our world and he's asking somebody the same sort of questions that he asked Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and even Hagar on that day when she was by a spring he's asking a question like where have you come from and where are you going and it's important when we read in Genesis 16 that Hagar was honest with God you see in Genesis chapter 3 what happens when God comes asking the question Adam and Eve are asked these penetrating questions that are not all that unlike what God asked Hagar. And they dodged it, didn't they? Right. They dodged it. They said, I, I don't know. The serpent. The woman did it. The serpent did it. I didn't know. We didn't understand. They dodged it. They dodged it. God comes to Cain. Asks him, where's your brother Abel? Cain does what we like to do. He answers a question with a question. He says, Who, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? And God says, what have you done? And Cain starts to try to explain himself. And Cain tries to say, I, I, I didn't know. And he starts to try to dodge the issue at hand. But Hagar, to her great credit, 
When God comes and asks the question, where have you come from and where are you going? Hagar, to her great credit, deals with God honestly. And she says, I'm running away from Sarai, my mistress. Can I tell you today on this Sunday morning that honesty is so important? If you want God to do something in your life, if you need an interaction with God, if you need an answer from God, if you need direction from God, it is absolutely necessary that you be honest with God. I might ask somebody this morning on this final day of the year, what has 2023 been like for you? Are you able to be honest about what it's been like? What's life been like recently, Hagar? You don't have to dress up the answer today for God's sake. You don't have to dodge the reality. Where have you come from? God is asking. God always addresses where you've come from before he starts to address where you're going. And it's never God's intentions to drudge up pain from the past in order to hurt you. But in order to speak a future over you, God knows that he has to address the past and the present you. And God will always initiate and start that process. But it's up to you whether or not you're going to be honest about it. God can't bless who you pretend to be. Take the facade down this morning. Take your guard down with God today. And be honest with God. Because Hagar, an Egyptian who knew nothing about God, at least had the sense to be honest with God. The past has to be addressed. Sometimes it requires repentance from sin. If there's sin in your life today, if there's ways that you are trespassing against God and God's word, you need to repent of that and you need to be forgiven of that today. And you need to put that stuff in the past where it belongs so that God can start to truly write your future. Sometimes it requires dealing with sin. Sometimes it requires growing beyond failure. Maybe there's something in your life this year that has, maybe we wouldn't categorize it as sin. Maybe we were just saying something really backfired. Something really came out of nowhere and hit me, and I don't know where it came from. And I would put it, I would, certainly wouldn't put it in the category of success. I would categorize it as a failure. And sometimes in order to move forward into what God has for us, we need to process failure. We need to process it and say, that stuff happened. I'm putting it in the hands of God, and I'm going to move on. Sometimes it means processing pain or disappointment in a healthy way. Can I tell you today, I'm not, I'm not a mental health expert, I'm not a counselor, but can I tell you this morning that if you've dealt with pain and disappointment and unmet expectations in 2023, it's the will of God that you process those things in a healthy way and not bottle them up? And let those things turn into something really nasty on the inside of you. And if you, if you want it to turn into something nasty on the inside of you. And then you want to deal with it in 2024. You can. But if you want to process it in a healthy way. You're in the right spot today. 
Because that kind of stuff starts at an altar, and it starts when the Spirit of God starts penetrating into the inner part of your life, the part that no one else can see, the place that no one else has been allowed into. But if you'll allow God into it, into the middle of the pain and the disappointment and the things that have let you down this year, and you'll start letting the Lord teach you how to deal with those things in a healthy way, you can start moving on to the next part of what God has for you. But if you want to hold on to that stuff and hold on to the way that you know how to process it, ask yourself, how's that gone lately? Now, I don't want to fixate on the negative, so I want to add this in here too. Sometimes when we're addressing the past, it's not all negative. Can we just be real? Sometimes in church, we like to, we like to preach and, and talk about Boy, it's been bad, but it can get better. And it can. And it will. But what if it's been good? What if you've had a good year? What if God's blessed your finances? What if you, what if you set a goal and you met it? And you accomplished something? What if you got a promotion? What if you've added to your family and everybody's healthy? Sometimes... Addressing the past means handling success with good stewardship. Did you know that your blessings can become curses? Are you aware? Your blessings can become curses. It's possible to be so blessed and to not be a good steward of the successes and the blessings of 2023 and allow them to run rampant into 24. And instead of staying blessings, they turn into curses and they start hamstringing your relationship with God. And they start keeping you out of church. And they start disintegrating your family ties and your relationships in life. And the things that you thought were blessings from God. And certainly probably they were. When they go unstewarded and you don't manage them like God's word says to manage them. They start to run rampant. And instead of you handling your blessings, your blessings start to handle you. And all of a sudden you get to the end of next year and you're wondering whose life am I even living? I can't remember the last time I made a decision. I'm just being drug around. I'm just reacting to everything in life. Part of addressing your past is also acknowledging there's some good things that come along, but that even the good things have to be addressed. And the church is the place for all of that to happen. This is like that place that Hagar was in. It is a spring in the middle of the wilderness. Coming and going. Let's level for a minute. Most people are very, very acquainted with where they've come from. That first question that God asked, God said, where have you come from? You notice what Hagar did. If you got your Bible open, you could see it. Hagar immediately has an answer for that. She says, I'm running away from the pain and the hardship and the hatred of my mistress, Sarai. Most of us, self-included, are very acquainted with where we've come from. We can give you the details, can't we? You can tell me what happened. You can tell me who was involved. You can tell me how, you, how it made you feel and the emotions that it brought up. They can come back to life in an instant. You can tell me where it took place. 
you can tell me how it all came to be. And there's a whole backstory that you can give me. And again, me too. We're very good at this. This is what we're predisposed to being good at. And I'm not for a second minimizing any of it. Because, listen, me and Bishop were talking yesterday. You just try to imagine Hagar's predicament. Try to imagine being a female slave all those years ago. She's from Egypt. She's not living in Egypt anymore. She has none of her support network that she grew up with around her. She's been purchased because there's no other options. It's the only option. It's the best life she could could really hope for. She gets purchased and taken to a faraway place. She's owned by this clan of people. She has no rights. And then one day, while she's making breakfast for them, they say, hey, Hagar. Why don't you spend the night with him? And you have no options. It's hard for us to, I'm not going to get into the details of what that must have been like on a Sunday morning, but your imagination can, can pretty much set the stage of what life must have been like for Hagar. And we can't, most of us can't even get close to imagining the realities of what it must have been like for her. So I'm not for a moment minimizing any of the backstory and any of the details and any of the ways in which you and I can become so well acquainted with where we've come from. We all have stories that we are acquainted with that bring up pain and emotions and involve people and we can fill the whole story together when God asks us. And we're best at skillfully recounting how we've been hurt, how we've fallen short, how our expectations were unmet. We're very, very good at where have you come from. And we're far less gifted in where are you going. That's what Hagar had going on. Look at verse 8. She says, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarah. Now, I'm just, I'm going to tell you, I think that that's probably a paraphrase. I think that when God asked her that question, I imagine the floodgates opening. I imagine Hagar said, you won't believe it. You wouldn't believe my story if I told you. I'm, I, was, I was minding my own business in Egypt, and I didn't have any good prospects in life, so I became a slave to these people, and they carried me away to this faraway place, and then one morning I wake up, and they've got this whole plan made out, and I'm in the middle of it, and I don't really know what to do, and I can't really say no, but I do it anyways, and then it works, and then they hate me. I mean... How many of us have told a story like that? Hagar has an answer for the first question, but she has no comment on the second question. That's what happens whenever we feel like we've fallen short. We have a tendency to overanalyze everything about where we've come from and spend very little time thinking seriously about where we're going. Verse 10 tells us the angel of the Lord's response to everything Hagar must have said. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly, and they shall not be counted for multitude. 
So in the middle of all of her mess, in the middle of, of her having this entire backstory and this whole drama to tell about where she'd come from, she has nothing to say about where she's going. But that's what God brings into the picture. When she is at that spring in the middle of the wilderness and has no answers for the future, she has the sense to be honest with God and say, God, I'm going to spend some time in your presence because I know that if nothing else, you bring to the table every detail about my future that I need to know. Every promise that you speak into my life is going to come to pass, God. And she, she starts to hear in her ears, music to her ears. Your life is going to have meaning. Your life is going to have significance, Hagar. There's something great inside of you. I'm going to multiply and bless and bring great things to pass out of you, Hagar. What a promise. What a future. What blessing and abundance that must have sounded like to Hagar beyond what her imagination was ever able to dream up. Hagar is the only woman in the book of Genesis to receive a promise like that. Those kinds of words are spoken to people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and, 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 and all of their descendants. But Hagar stands alone today as somebody that is a female that has heard those kinds of words before. God speaks to Hagar and says, there's something great inside of you. Blessing you've never dreamed of. Hagar, that's where you're going. That's where you're going. I know that you were quick to give an answer on where you've come from. And maybe you've walked into the house of the Lord on this Sunday morning, December 31st. And you have a long backstory and many details built up about all the things that have happened in 2023. And that's okay. It puts you in the ranks of normal people. But I'm here to tell you today that if you'll submit yourself to God. He can fill in the blanks on your future and the things that have question marks hanging over them and the things that you haven't even begun to dream about yet. God is wanting to speak into your life for the year and the season and the decade to come. God has a plan for your life. Even if you don't have a plan figured out, who's going to respond to God? Who's going to respond to him today? Some of you have navigated things, negative and positive things in 2023. Things that you've never had to navigate before. Things in your health, things in your finances, things in your family, spiritual things even that you've never encountered before that you found yourself navigating in 2023. And there are a couple questions that are hanging in the atmosphere today. Where have you come from? Where are you going? There was a time when Jesus, Jesus himself, interacted with a woman at a place of water. The Gospel of John chapter 4 tells the story of a woman who was a Samaritan. She had a story. She had a life of pain, disappointment, unmet expectations, frustration, shame. Things hadn't gone according to plan. She comes to the middle of the wilderness to a well in the middle of the day. She's going to draw water in the heat of the day because she doesn't want to interact with anybody else. You ever gone to the store and not want to see anybody? Sorry, we got a few of us that are honest. She just wants to get in and get out. Okay? 
She's having a day like that, except it's multiplied by 10 because, I mean, there's, it, it, it's not just an inconvenience factor for her. Like, I just want to make this a fast trip. It's like, I legit don't want to see anybody because I, I have this shame and this guilt hanging over my life because I'm living with a man that's not my husband. And, and there's a whole history of relationships that are uh, behind me, and none of them are good, and they're all unsuccessful, and I'm just not happy about the way my life presents to others, so I'm just going to stay out of it. And and I'm just going to go to this well in the middle of the day and draw some water and then try to take it on back to the house and stay out of public view. But when she gets there, she meets a man. She doesn't know his name. He's a stranger to her. And his name is Jesus. Jesus is sitting on the well when she gets there. And they start to talk and they start to interact. And he's a Jew and she's a Samaritan. So there's really not supposed to be a lot of interaction really at all between these two people. They're supposed to hate each other. They're supposed to not really get along. And Jesus is standing there and he's talking to this woman. He's asking her to, she has a bucket to draw the water with. And she's, he says, well, would you please just draw me some water? And they start to talk about water. And they start to talk about natural water and spiritual water. And Jesus tells her, if, if you'll drink the water that I have to give you, it's living water. You'll never thirst again. She, does, she, has, she, has many, she has many things going on that she's able to tell him about what's going on in the present tense and even what's going on in the past. And Jesus even addresses that. He says, where's your husband? And she says, I don't, I, you know, and, and she just kind of puts her hands up and, and, and gives him kind of a non-answer answer. And Jesus said, you're right. There's a, whole, there's a whole list of relationships behind you that have been wrong and that haven't been successful. And he starts to read her mail a little bit. And tell her, where have you come from? And she has no answer for where she's going. And Jesus tells her, there's coming a day when the Father is seeking those that will worship him in spirit and in truth. The Father's seeking those to worship him. And he starts to expound to her and tell her, there's more to life than what you've been through. But there's a future out ahead of you that you can be a part of if you'll stop, if you'll address what's going on. And you'll start making some things right. There's some things that you can be a part of in the future that you haven't even imagined yet. You're a Samaritan lady. You don't even think you can be a part of what God's doing right now. You think you're on the outside looking in. But I've come to somebody today to tell you that you don't have to leave today feeling like you are on the outside of what God is doing. Looking in and wondering what it feels like. But you can be right in the middle of what God is doing doesn't matter how long in 2023 you felt like you've been on the outside. You can step into 24 knowing that you're on the inside of what God's doing. When she came to the well that day, she was living in sin. She was living in confusion. She was dealing with shame and with guilt. And when she left that day, after having a moment with God, she left that day with new direction, with new purpose. The word of God says that she went back to the city preaching and declaring, come see a man that told me everything that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? That's a brand new lady. That's a brand new person. She came in knowing exactly where she'd come from. And she left knowing exactly where she was going. You're at the spring today. You're at the well today. Are you going to take a drink of living water? Are you going to let God do in your life what he wants to do? Are you going to let it start today? Are you going to say, you know what, I've got time later. I can take care of that another day. 
I want to tell a final story as the musicians come. This final story is not about a lady. It's about a man. So I don't want any of the men to think that you're off the hook. This isn't a feminine thing. Okay? I'm being serious. This isn't a feminine thing. This is a people thing. Jesus had an interaction with a guy that was a lot like the other interactions I've explained. John chapter 1 tells the story. It says, the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said to Philip, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, and Philip found Nathanael and said to Nathanael, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to Philip, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. I think that today, across this room, you've already done that. I think you've already come and seen. I think you're at the spring. I think you're at the well today. I think you've already accomplished half of this story with Nathaniel. You've already come to the place where you said, you know what, I wouldn't be in church today if I wasn't at least a little bit interested in having God move in my life. You're at the right place. And maybe it was everything today you could do just to get here. Maybe you heard, maybe you woke up this morning, maybe you went to bed last night, and you heard that prompting of the Spirit, come and see. I just need to see what God can do. In the middle of my mess, in the middle of everything that I've dealt with, I'm just going to come and see what God might do on this last day of the year. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael was kind of startled. Nathanael said to Jesus, how do you know me? You see, Jesus pulled the same, the same maneuver that the angel of the Lord did with Hagar in the wilderness. First words out of the angel's mouth. Hagar, servant of Sarai, knew exactly who she was. Today, God knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly the answers to the questions that he's asking you. He's doing it for your benefit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus knew where Philip or where Nathanael had been. He knew where Philip, where Nathanael had come from. And Philip Nathaniel. For Nathaniel, that was enough. He was astonished. He was making declarations. He was doing what Hagar did. She named the place, the, the place of the God who sees me. She was astounded at this God who knew everything about her, who was able to hear all the gritty details of her story and still love her and still pronounce promises over her. And that's where Nathaniel was. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you've come into the presence of the Lord this morning and you feel the presence of God so strongly and you know that God is dealing with your spirit. But I'm here to tell you, it's not, it doesn't have to stop at just the feel good. It doesn't have to stop at just the revelation that there is a God. 
But God started to speak some things over Hagar and said, Hagar, there's greatness inside of you. Hagar, I'm going to multiply and bless you. There's a future for you. Jesus did the same thing for Nathanael. Jesus answered and said to Nathanael, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Jesus today says, I know where you've come from. I see you right now in the present tense. You've come to the spring. You've come to the well. You've come and seen. You've left the fig tree and you've come and seen what I'm all about. But Jesus has another word for you today. He says, I see where you're going. There's greater things in store for you. There's multiplied blessings for you. And his instructions for you today are very simple. They're the same instructions he gave Nathaniel and Philip and the rest of the disciples. He said, follow me. Follow me. Maybe you're in this place this morning, you're asking yourself that question that Hagar probably asked herself, and you say, where do I go from here? Sitting at a spring in the wilderness, a place where you know that there's freshness and refreshing available. Hagar was in a place like that, but she was empty on where do I go from here? Can I tell you what the answer is not? The answer is not stay out here next to this spring until I die. And just live here. That's not realistic. She couldn't live at that spring. And this woman that Jesus met in Samaria, as much as it must have impacted her to have that exchange with Jesus at the well, Sister Mona, she couldn't live at the well. Hagar couldn't live at the spring. Nathaniel couldn't live by the side of the Sea of Galilee. But he was going to have to move and he was going to have to respond somehow. And the question that maybe you're asking today is what do I do next? How do I respond to this God who sees me and is pulling for me? And the Lord gives us the insight of how to respond in Genesis chapter 16 verse 9. I skipped it a second ago. I addressed verse 8 and I skipped straight over to verse 10 and talked about the blessings and the plan of God for Hagar's life. But God's response, God's requirement of Hagar is found in verse 9. And it is our response today. The angel of the Lord said to Hagar, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. And the key words there are submit yourself. I'm stopping and I'm taking time to do this this morning because I don't want to be high on, on saying things in the abstract and low on what to do in the practical. When we get to the point where we're at right now, and I feel it in the room right now, the Holy Ghost is here, and we're ready to respond, and we're going to have a time of response, but we can't just respond in the abstract to, to some cloudy idea of what God expects of me. But there is an actual concrete way to respond today, and it's summed up in those words that the angel said to Hagar. He said, submit yourself. The New Testament says it like this in 1 Peter chapter 5. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due time. It's the will of God today as we all stand. It is the will of God today that every person in this room, that every person in this assembly step into 2024 with personal spiritual vision. It is the will of God today that you are able to start gaining an answer for not just one question, but both of the questions that God has put to you today. Where have you come from and where are you